52 episodes to science fiction film literacy with your host, Christopher J. Garcia. And it starts now. In science fiction, literary adaptations are a dime a dozen. And it's no wonder why there's so much written material to draw from. And one of the most adapted stories is arguably the first science fiction story. It's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And one of the reasons for that is it's not only the prototype for what science fiction became, it features two elements that change everything and are an actor's dreams. It's a mad scientist, literally a mad scientist, who again thinks he's not a mad scientist, who thinks of himself as working towards a new good. And the other half is a monster who turns out to not be a monster. Sort of the male equivalent of the hooker with a heart of gold, if you think about it. This is one of those moments in the history of film where everything sort of comes together. And it more or less changes everything. And Frankenstein, directed by James Whale was, I would argue, the most important of all the Universal Monster films. And it's not just the incredible performance as the monster, it's not just the spectacular shooting, it's not just the pinpoint direction, it's also its, its place. I know that sounds strange, but, but bear with me. Frankenstein, pretty much from the mid-1800s forward, was adapted freely uh, for the stage in particular uh, in which Charles Ogle, at the end of the 19th and the early 20th century, was very popular in playing. He would later play the monster in the first known filmed version of Frankenstein, which was great. It's still available today. Uh, it was lost for a long time. It was finally found, filmed in 1910. And then, <coughs> I believe it was filmed at least one other time. By the early 1930s, sound had come in and changed everything. And early sound pictures are troubling to me. Not for any philosophical reason, but just for the fact that the sound isn't very good. There's a sort of base silence to it that is unnerving to me. And that may be one of the reasons why I've always been legitimately scared by Dracula and Frankenstein in particular. And while not, neither of them are sort of constructed as a horror film, as I would understand it today, they're both scary to me. Now, Frankenstein, as a story, relies on the ability of two different actors to deliver the ability to see both of them as a monster. But one only physically as a monster, and the other one as the deep within monster. And the entire concept of the mad scientist is based off that tension. The invention is evil on the out exterior 
and yet internally good, or at least neutral, and on the other side, the scientist is outwardly good, internally evil, or at least selfish. And again, it's a very important and powerful tension. Here you see that beautifully. And part of the reason you do is that it's so perfectly shot. The cinematography here is amazing. And it's not only drawing inspiration from sort of the German expressionists who really did revolutionize the way films were shot, but from the westerns. And if you look at some of the camera angles, particularly of the monster, they're the same way you would shoot the villain in a western. And that's, that's a brilliant piece of work. Because here, ostensibly, you're supposed to either sympathize or empathize with the monster, to, at least to a degree. But at the same time, you're distant and you're presented with them in a negative light. And even when it interacts in a kind way, it's still shot as if he is the heavy. And the use of close-ups in, in this is phenomenal. I, I absolutely cannot stress how good the close-up work in this is. But it's a sound that's really, really fascinating. It's that you have these sort of moments of sound when, when something happens that's... It's as if it is being pinpoint precise with every tone. And sound design was really sort of primitive here. Here it's working. And you may not realize it, but so many elements of modern science fiction film start here, or at least get their sort of first major play. The Jacob's Ladder. I can't think of a science fiction novel written before the 1930s that would ever have a Jacob's Ladder mentioned specifically. I've read a bunch, not all, but it's not like a thing that, that happened. But it became a part of the style of science fiction. If you wanted to establish something as significant, you had a Jacob's Ladder, which is amazingly threatening if you think about it. At this point, electricity was not universal, hardly at all. There were lots of points in the middle of the country, and even some urban areas, that had no electricity outside of maybe streetlights. That, of course, changed as the decade went on by World War II. There was huge amounts of electricity everywhere. But at this point, that arc that goes up at Jacob's Ladder, it's a new technology. It's electricity in your face, moving, climbing. And the fact that something was born out of that, was born out of the lightning, and a Jacob's Ladder is, in, in essence, controlled lightning, that that one concept helps propel this forward into this idea that there is something threatening in electricity. 
and by extension, the men who try to harness electricity are, of course, madmen and the real monsters, which speaks to Dr. Frankenstein. <coughs> there are so many things here to talk about. But what it really comes down to is, this is a story about the dangers of playing God. And even more so than any of the other Universal Monster films, it's a story of the horrors of our ambitions. And our ambitions more and more in the 19, late 20s, early 30s were to take technology and create new potential. And the idea of creating life out of dead pieces is a beautiful metaphor for so many different things, but ideally for playing God. And what was being done at Westinghouse and RCA to a degree, at that point, a lot of people were scared. This whole new concept of automation, this whole new concept of electronicism that was starting to pop up. And it certainly by the 1940s would be very problematic. And this is something that actually gets lost about a lot of the Universal Monster movies. They did not go away. Whenever a new Universal Monster film would come out, the originals, the, particularly the original five, sort of the five most significant ones, that's Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the original Mummy, and the Invisible Man would get re-released, oftentimes with The Bride of Frankenstein also. Or they would at least play around. And up until the 50s, they were probably on screens in various parts of the country, each about a quarter of the time. And then when television came up, they were everywhere. And the rise of creature features, uh, here in the Bay Area we had Bob Wilkins and then later John Stanley, uh, the idea of the horror host with Vampira, later Elvira, and hundreds in between Zachary, uh, Sven Gulli, all these guys. And girls, I should say. But this idea of the horror films in particular, things like creature features, in particular, again, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and Frankenstein. All of them <coughs> having continual ongoing cultural presence. And another reason for that is that they kept getting remade. And in particular, Frankenstein has been remade. I have no idea how many times. The one I think of when I think of Frankenstein from my generation is the Robert De Niro one in the, I want to say the mid-90s. And it was, eh, it wasn't great. I think it was Kevin Branagh directed it. It was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. But if you look at things like Blood for Frankenstein, uh, I want to say that's what it was called. Or 
I believe there were at least two versions done by the Hammer films in the UK. And adaptations in comics have happened a lot, both of the original book and just taking the characters of Frankenstein and Dr. Frankenstein. And I know he's the monster, but Frankenstein's so much easier. But one of the more interesting things that happened was the introduction of friendly Frankenstein. And the Munsters, Herman Munster, is of course a friendly Frankenstein. Uh, later on, you had Frankenberry. But there's this sort of idea, this cute idea of Frankenstein that emerges out of that. Frankenstein continues to be an important film. Not only for film students, but for people who love the idea that it represents that using very simple elements you can tell this very important story. This is not complicated storytelling. This is not really complicated filmmaking. It's precise. It's... The set direction is phenomenal. The costuming is great. The makeup is phenomenal. The Of all the uh, Universal Monster films, the only one that surpasses this, in particularly makeup and hair, is The Bride of Frankenstein. And Elsa Lancaster was amazing in that. But you don't need the frills to make this amazing film. You just need these simple elements played very precisely. And that's what happened here. Now, I'm not going to claim that this is the greatest film ever. Not even the greatest horror film, not nearly the greatest science fiction film ever. But it's one of the most significant films to really digest. And when you take in Frankenstein, start to catch the little things that pop up over and over again in horror and science fiction.